Hello, hello. Thank you for stopping by for another episode of Grappling with Popular Belief, or as I'm calling it now, GPB. As I alluded to last month, I am going to be taking a slight detour from the sort of human development trajectory that I was on in the last couple of episodes to talk about an issue that I have been stirring on and I'm getting very invigorated to talk about. I want you to imagine the last time that you were watching a TV show and you saw someone who was a mental health professional, maybe a therapist or a social worker, or maybe you saw someone on TV who was supposed to have a mental health disorder or an addiction issue. Now, if you have any background in the medical field or any related field, you may have known that the depictions on TV or in a movie were very incorrect. (laughs) Maybe you don't have the background and maybe you weren't quite sure and you didn't really know, um, and that's fine too. I mean, I think that the main reason that inspired me to talk about this month is the fact that so often the media is portraying these things in a really inaccurate way. I won't say that every single time uh, a therapist is on TV or someone with a mental health disorder is on TV, it's totally wrong. However, they often do miss a lot of important details or skip parts of it that are less glamorous, like a show that I was recently binging. I won't say the specific name of it, but someone was very easily cycling in and out of sobriety from alcohol dependence without showing any signs of withdrawal. And this was a person who looked very glamorous and uh, very gussied up all the time, despite the fact that they were presumably in alcohol withdrawal, which if you have experienced that or you know someone who've experienced it or you've worked around it, it is a very, very uncomfortable and difficult thing for someone to experience. Anyway, I'm digressing here a bit. Today I will be talking uh, about some of the most commonly misused, misunderstood mental health terms and diagnoses that I hear Uh, And I'm actually going to have a friend of mine who's also a social worker and has worked in mental health for a while join me to share some of her experiences and some of her uh, thoughts and opinions on this subject. Now, I want to say right away, if you are listening to this episode today and you're feeling really, like, attacked (laughs) because maybe you've used some of these words incorrectly or maybe you've spread some of this misinformation just have compassion with yourself. Know that I'm not here to berate anyone. I'm really just here to spread awareness because I I totally understand and I see how often that this information is spread that's not correct and how easy it is to just believe what you see. So I hope that this episode will provide some clarity around some of these terms. And without further ado, here is Kelsey. Hey, Kelsey. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Alyssa. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Kelsey, can you tell me a little bit about, well, tell the listeners a little bit uh, about what you do for work and what your education background is? Sure. Yeah. So I um, have a license of social work and I work in emergency rooms 
and do um, a level of care assessment for people that are usually in some sort of mental health crisis or sometimes people seeking treatment for substance abuse. And we kind of wear a bunch of different hats in the ER as a social worker. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's been the majority of my career so far since grad school is as an ER social worker. Awesome. Yes. So Kelsey and I do work together. My side gig is in the ER with Kelsey and she trained me. So she was able to share a lot of her really good knowledge. I really look up to Kelsey. She's a very compassionate and skilled social worker. (laughs) Thank you so much. I look up to you as well. Oh, thank you. So Kelsey and I are super excited to talk about this topic. We both feel very passionate about mental health, of course, with our jobs Mm -hmm. and even our personal lives. Uh, We both feel very strongly about mental health. So uh, we're going to talk about some of the mental health disorders that we feel are really misunderstood and often terminology that's used incorrectly. I'm super excited. (laughs) So Kelsey, I'm going to start with one of the very popular uh, mental health diagnoses that I know that we see often in the ER, bipolar Mm -hmm. disorder. Okay, yeah, let's just jump right in. (laughs) (laughs) So Kelsey, why don't you talk a little bit about what it looks like when someone comes into the emergency room and they are, um, they have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder? Yeah, so they're in the emergency room most of the time they're in a crisis situation. So someone living with bipolar disorder might be coming in when they're experiencing a manic episode, which can look like a lot of different things, but the typical traits are Uh, not sleeping well, uh, usually for an extended period of time, Mm -hmm. um, or not getting any sleep, a lot of impulsive behavior sometimes. And it can look kind of scary to family members, because sometimes it's just so far from the person's typical behavior uh, when they're in a manic episode. And then sometimes it's paired with symptoms of psychosis. So it could even, the patient could be experiencing hallucinations or delusions of some sort, or a heightened level of fear um, or paranoia. So yeah, that would be if they're presenting kind of more of a manic episode. Um, yes. But as you know, bipolar is also sometimes paired with depressive episodes or mixed episodes of depression and mania. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of runs the full gamut with mental health. Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad that you uh, started by talking about mania because for one thing, I you know, we, we know that bipolar is often referred to as like, oh, this person has mood swings, they must be bipolar, uh, mm-hmm. which we know isn't, yeah. isn't necessarily the case. Or I think it's just a, a word that's used very casually and um, incorrectly often. And I think, totally. I think a lot of the times people don't even know what mania is, which is understandable. I mean, I never knew what mania was before I yeah. studied mental health. Um, but it's an yeah. interesting, interesting, like, uh, range of behaviors that people have when they're, when they're manic. And uh, I think more often we understand depression, you know, we understand people know that people who are depressed are experiencing sad mood, and they may feel suicidal, mm-hmm. they may be sleeping all the time. But yeah. they, it's less that less common that people know about mania. Yeah, yeah, I think it it is interesting back to what you said about when people kind of use bipolar Mm -hmm. as slang Mm -hmm. and say, you know, he's so bipolar, meaning in a way, I think people describe people when they're maybe, you know, having like frequent mood swings throughout the day or their moods are changing very quickly throughout the day. And Mm -hmm. that's 
typically not how bipolar presents. I mean, people could be experiencing mood swings still, but the ups and downs and the highs and lows and the mania and depressions are usually spread out over the course of several days at a time. So not all in one day, you're going to see a bunch of highs and lows. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's completely stigmatized differently than it actually is. Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, and you mentioned a word that kind of brings me into another one that I wanted to talk about is psychosis. Um, So I think that's a word that's very misunderstood and kind Mm -hmm. of brings about a bunch of other words like we've talked about psychotic and socio or um, sorry, psychopath and psychopath, you know, all those words that kind of uh, get used all over the place. Or even just psycho, you know, like that's so common is like, he's so psycho and not to be judgmental of the listeners because I'm guilty of that as well. You know, become such common slang for us, but I'm really working on that because I think it's important for us to be careful with our language because in our field, psychotic or someone experiencing psychosis is a real thing. It's, it's not just someone cutting you off on the highway and you saying, oh, you're such a psycho. So, right. um, <laughs> but yeah, using this like incorrect terminology, I think can really add to the stigma around mental health and, and maybe keep people from getting treatment who actually might be experiencing psychosis. And so it can be really dangerous. We have to be careful about the words we choose. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that. I feel like we're really just trying to help bring awareness to it because we do want people to feel safe asking for help if they're experiencing these things. And yeah. And it's totally understandable, you know, that people don't think before they say something like psycho or, um, you know, I've had friends in my personal life describe someone to me as bipolar when they're not really assigning them with a diagnosis, but they don't work in our field. Yes. Um, you know, and I love them just as much for saying that. I'm not judging them, but just providing that education for them of like, hey, no, there are people living with bipolar disorder. So it might not be harmful to say in like your small circle of, of people mm-hmm. that know your intention, but using that kind of slang, you know, out in the general public is really just promoting discrimination and stigma. Yes, exactly, for sure. But yeah, psychosis really looks more like being kind of detached from reality. And often people will have delusions, as you mentioned, where they are believing something that isn't true. They might think that someone's out to get them or someone's in their phone watching them or one of those types of things. And uh, that can be really scary for an individual who's going through that. Yeah, definitely. And as a clinician, I think I'm really mindful of trying not to take away from their experience or try to tell them, know that this isn't actually happening, even if the delusion is so far from reality. And I can tell that this is not true or family members are confirming for me that this is not really what's happening in their life. But um, the patient is truly believing in those delusions that they're happening to them. And like you said, it can be so scary because a lot of times it's about maybe someone following them or trying Mm -hmm. to kill them or trying to kill someone they love. And so, yeah, it's really important not to honor what they're experiencing and and support them through that as if it were real. Exactly. Yeah, that is super important. 
And using terms uh, like psychopath, I've had people come to me as a mental health professional, they'll come to me and be like, oh, do you think this person is a psychopath? And I'm like, well, that's not a real mental health term. (laughs) Right. Not in the DSM, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, psychopath, sociopath are both words that are not used in a clinical setting. Uh, Kelsey just mentioned the DSM, which is our diagnostic statistical manual for diagnosing mental health disorders, total mouthful, total like (laughs) just long, boring title, but it's also a long, boring book about different mental health disorders. And it spells out the criteria for each disorder so that professionals know how to diagnose people and provide these, these diagnoses so that people can get the appropriate care. And psychopath and sociopath are not in there. But sociopath does sort of have a clinical equivalent that would be antisocial personality disorder. Yeah. So that one, that one also has like multiple layers to it as well. Totally. Yeah. And I think we were talking about this um, before that a lot of times in like movies or in the media, they'll depict the antagonist or the or someone like a murderer in a scary movie as a psychopath or a sociopath and yeah yeah. (laughs) and I feel like they're referring to antisocial personality disorder you know it Mm -hmm. it does exist however you know the majority of people with that diagnosis are not dangerous or they're not murderers (laughs) right it's more just people who tend to break a lot of rules or they tend to not follow our like kind of societal norms that you would generally expect people to follow and uh right or like societal like morality you know like they might have a different bar of morality that to us might seem scary but to them it's normal for them yes exactly so that's antisocial there is no clinical equivalent for psychopath But thinking about that category of diagnoses still, we could also say another one that's used all the time is schizo, right? Oh, someone's so schizo. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I haven't heard that one in a while, but yeah. (laughs) Or schizoid, some people say, which is like, is it straight in our DSM, but so misused. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, again, schizophrenia is a diagnosis where people are often dealing with a lot of psychosis and that looks like having visual hallucinations or hearing voices or um, you know feeling things on their body that aren't there and a variety of different things that I won't go into but people throw the word around and it's sad because there's I've worked with people who are so such productive members of society with schizophrenia people who are lawyers and doctors and who who a lot of people look up to and they have families and all kinds of stuff and right uh, people like throw the word around or there's so much stigma towards it and it it could be anyone yeah yeah it's really it's really sad i i know there's some support groups in our area for people that were recently diagnosed with schizophrenia which i'm so mm-hmm. happy to hear about now because it's typically diagnosed pretty young. And so that can be so scary for someone who throughout their teenage and early adult years has been hearing, oh, they're schizophrenic or like the the bad terminology. And and then hearing that you have that diagnosis, I'm sure can feel so daunting and, and so scary. So yeah, I've been hearing about some support groups that kind of educate young people on 
this is total, totally livable as long as you can take medication and do some therapy, mm-hmm. we can treat this. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was just thinking about what I just said, how people say he's schizophrenic. It's mm-hmm. like, no, he's a person living with schizophrenia. <laughs> like yes. he's not a, there is no a schizophrenic. That's not a thing. Right. Right. Person, <laughs> and I, first I hate language. hearing that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we talked about that a lot about person first language is so important and it's so easy to not do this. Totally understandable, but it's something that's really important. Saying someone's a schizophrenic or a bipolar or saying they're so ADHD, it's really just not fair to talk about someone that way. Right. Yeah, no, totally. It's like labeling that person with their diagnosis. And Mm -hmm. Alyssa, I think you and I were talking about how we would never do that with like a physical condition like he's so diabetes like or he's diabetes and like label him like that you know like we say he's bipolar so easily but we would never say he's broken I think you said after like someone breaks their leg we'd never say that so yeah it's, it's interesting that we do that with mental health Yes, yes, it is. And uh, it just like it really strips away from people's identity. Like that's the idea with person first language. It's where we're trying to help people remember that an individual is more than their diagnosis. If someone's living with anxiety or depression, that's they are more than that diagnosis. They are a person who is experiencing that and they might be a parent or a a professional and they might have all these different pieces to their identity that are really important and uh, their diagnosis shouldn't be that whole, the whole piece, the whole picture. Yeah, exactly. And I, like you said, I think it's important for the patient or the person living with that disorder, but it's also important for us because yeah. we believe what we say, whether right. we want to or not, we believe our own words. So mm-hmm. if we say, you know, as a clinician, if I'm thinking, oh, I have to go see that schizophrenic in room 10. I'm already setting myself up to walk into whatever I conjure in my mind as someone with schizophrenia. Whereas if I say to myself or say to someone, I'm going to go see the person in room 10 living with schizophrenia or presenting here with schizophrenia. Now I'm going in to see a person. Yes, exactly. That's so important. And it's great that you're doing that important emergency room work as a full-time person and keeping that stuff in mind, because I think oftentimes even as social workers or therapists or nurses or whatever person who works with people diagnosed with these disorders, it's easy to kind of slip into those, that kind of terminology. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So another one, so another personality disorder that uh, I think is important to talk about, it's definitely a, a challenging one. someone to live with is borderline personality disorder. I had a feeling you were going to bring that one up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That one is a challenge for sure to live with or to treat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I know we've talked about how sometimes in different treatment settings or sometimes in different just environments, people will say things like, oh, they're, they're borderline. They're so borderline or, things like that. I mean, even, I feel like I've even heard it used in society in weird ways that don't make sense necessarily. Me too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a word that you, I don't think, I wouldn't think a lot of people in general society would know about it unless they have a family member who suffers with it, or they have a family member who works in the mental health field, or if they work in it them, 
in the field themselves because it is, it's it's very not well known, but it's surprising because I know as mental health professionals, we do see, we do see a lot of individuals diagnosed with that. Yeah, totally. And yeah, usually it's like layered with another, you know, mental health diagnosis and people living with borderline personality disorder can sometimes learn to be a little manipulative, things like that. So as a someone helping them, treating them, it can sometimes be difficult or feel frustrating. Have you noticed that in your work as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely worked with a lot of individuals with a diagnosis and uh, it it definitely takes a lot of self-care and a lot of reminding yourself, oh, this person has been through challenging things and these behaviors that they're showing are behaviors that they've learned through their trauma. Uh, yeah. And that, that's always stuff I try to remember when I work with individuals who are struggling with that, because it's not like they, it's not like they're coming to get help thinking, oh, I'm gonna, I want to annoy people or I want to frustrate them. I want to cause people to exactly. have these strong negative reactions. They're not thinking that stuff. They're just trying to yeah. get help the only way they know how. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of times people with borderline personality disorder have a really hard time maintaining relationships. Yes. And so um, they can be feeling really alone in the world and not maybe understand why, you know, Mm -hmm. and they could be suffering from abandonment issues and be really feeling triggered every time something happens in a, in a relationship with them. So that's something really hard to live with. Yes. And they, these patients usually don't know why they don't realize that maybe because of the way that they've been coping or the way that they've learned to respond to people. But yeah, definitely treatable. There's a lot of great therapies now like DBT and, mm-hmm. you know, that can help patients with borderline to to kind of relearn the things that uh, maybe they were in, ingrained in them since they were a child. Yes, for sure. I love that you bring it around to these positive things like there are treatments for these things. And I think it's easy in the world and in our field sometimes to talk about the issues and uh, focus more on the negative parts and the tough parts. But there, there is definitely help out there for these diagnoses and for people who, who may not even meet criteria for a diagnosis. I mean, even if you don't fit this criteria for borderline or for depression or any of these things and you're you're struggling with your mood or you're struggling with some of these maladaptive behaviors you still deserve to get some help and there's 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 help out there there's therapy and there's medication and there's holistic approaches you know everyone's different Mm -hmm. and everyone needs a different kind of uh, map for how they're going to navigate these different challenges yeah totally agree with that i feel so strongly about what you just said it's so important that we not promote this stigma um, in mental health so that people can reach out for help and, and mm-hmm. realize that anything is treatable and it's okay. It's okay to live with bipolar disorder and it's okay to live with schizophrenia. Your life is just as valuable. Exactly. Yes. I love that. That's so important. And I think it's also important to remember too that sometimes You may seek treatment, which, yes, amazing. Congrats if you do seek treatment. Always remember (laughs) that when seeking treatment, it might not be a perfect fix. I think sometimes when someone's struggling with anxiety or trauma or really difficult stuff and they've been suffering for so long, they want to go to therapy and have it 
kind of fixed right away. And uh, just remember that just like anything else in life, it's, it's a journey and it takes time and it, it does take kind of you and your therapist or whoever you're working with, whatever you're trying to do, it, it kind of takes, takes work from both of you. Totally. Yeah. You have to play the long game with mental health treatment. It takes a long time. I'm learning this still too in my personal life. Like you can learn something and even like kind of master the concept, but actually applying it to your everyday life mm -hmm. or especially in an emotional situation, applying that tool that your therapist helped you come up with is really hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's really, really hard to add into your, your normal daily life. So you just got to keep at it. Keep trying. I think support groups are great. I know a lot of people, a lot of patients don't like group therapy, but support groups can be really great for that because then you're not discouraged and you realize other people, you know, are, are really working hard just like you every day. It's, it's, it's got to be an intentional thing every day. So Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was a pretty good tangent that we went on there for a little yeah. bit about treatment, which is very important. And I'm glad we talked about that. Uh, the other thing, I guess there's still a couple terms that I'd like to bring up before we finish. One of the ones that I hear used incorrectly frequently is OCD. Mm -hmm. Yes. So people will say all the time, I'm so OCD, sorry about my OCD. And I mean, I think I've even used that occasionally here and there as well. Yeah, I'm guilty of that too. I wonder sometimes if people know that OCD stands for something and it's like actually a diagnosis. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's so commonly used. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I think a lot of times people misuse it um, when describing like their cleaning habits or something like they're like, I'm so OCD about my desk. Not really afraid <laughs> <Yeah>. of <laughs> OCD, but yeah, it's funny sometimes to hear that misused, but really does take away from the experience of someone experiencing um, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, because that can be so debilitating. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that in my work, people having to be hospitalized um, for their obsessions or compulsions, just really taking over their daily life and not being able to maybe work anymore. And maybe they're not a, a danger to themselves or others, but still requiring a hospitalization because it's their compulsions may be so frequent and they, they really need med change. So yeah, it's a pretty serious disorder. Yeah. For us as a society to just be kind of using as like an everyday yeah. Um, so OCD about the, the bathroom being cleaned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I never even knew, much like any of the other diagnoses, I never knew how serious it was until I worked in the psychiatric hospital back in Massachusetts. And people that I know in my life who struggle with it have a lot of anxiety around it. Oh, totally. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the mental health disorders that people can usually see. So like it can make you feel really anxious on top because it's like people can, can see you. And if you're in public or something, or even around your family, it can be really hard because you can't control it. And yeah, I think we also see a lot of uh, terms, diagnoses being given to children now that are not correct, that are often often a result of trauma. I think when we see the behaviors that they're experiencing often, they are responses to trauma and they end up with diagnoses like ADHD or uh, bipolar, which is kind of a, 
an interesting diagnosis to give a young child. Yeah, yeah, it's really alarming to see that there's so many more children being diagnosed with bipolar, like you said. Yeah. I feel like ADHD and EDD have been around for so long now with children that it's almost like been normalized. Medicaid our children, and I'm not saying that sometimes it doesn't warrant that. I do think sometimes it's necessary, but Mm -hmm. like you said, I think sometimes it's really just mass trauma. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that some of the the symptoms of trauma, like hypervigilance, for example, is very similar to what you would see with someone with ADHD. When someone experiences Mm -hmm. trauma, they're going to be in this hypervigilant state where they're ready for attack. You know, their brain is in the fight or flight state. So it may look like a child who is not able to sit still in class or a child who is getting aggressive more quickly than their peers. Uh, and yeah. it may, it, someone may think, oh, that looks like ADHD, but, but a lot of the times that could be a response to trauma. Totally. And I'm thinking now of ODD, oppositional mm. defiant disorder, yes. which I feel like almost every child that I see in the ER, um, a lot of them have this diagnosis kind of slapped onto them and and then kind of when you, when you dig deep as a clinician with some of our children diagnosed with that, they've experienced a lot of trauma or maybe yes. it's like a learned behavior in mm-hmm. their home. You know, maybe they see dad treat mom this way and they're mm-hmm. treating their peer this way. And now they have this diagnosis and maybe these medications when really it's something that they've experienced and something that they've learned yeah. and they're acting out and, and don't know any other way to react to, to anger. Yes. You know, any emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And ODD is a really tough diagnosis. Uh, Oppositional defiant disorder is a really challenging diagnosis for a child to have, especially if they're seeking treatment, because I know that a treatment facility or a school or any sort of type of environment might see that diagnosis and be like, oh, I don't know, like, what kind of behaviors are they doing? Because with that diagnosis, uh, the criteria falls along the lines of they're very defiant, they're not following rules. It's it's kind of, they often think of it as like the preceptor to the antisocial personality disorder that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, which like writes off our kids a lot of times from maybe a certain program or like you said, a a school or even like some treatment, you know, some, some treatment providers might even say, oh, I'm not qualified for a child like that. When it might just be a kiddo that really needs to process some trauma. Right. It's kind of sad too, because if it's, if it's trauma, a lot of the times, a lot of, I don't want to overgeneralized therapy or anything like that. But I think a lot of therapists are trained in handling trauma. And Mm -hmm. we know that the most important part of therapy is the relationship. So as long as someone is working with someone that they feel a strong therapeutic connection with, they're likely to help them in some way. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone is qualified to work with everyone just based on the relationship. But it is important. It's a very important part of therapy. And so writing people off due to certain diagnoses is often not, not a great way to do it, I think. Yeah, totally. And that, that kind of made me just think about how important it is for children just to have at least one solid relationship in their childhood. Yes. And if it can't be a parent, which would be top choice, but mm-hmm. if it can't be a parent, if it's a guidance counselor at school or if they're a social worker like you at school, 
or people, you know, some kids like in the big brothers club or big sisters club. I love that because it's a positive role model figure in their life. And that can be so life changing for children yeah. to have that solid relationship and that person that they can trust. Yeah. It doesn't abandon them. Yeah. So like that, that whole finding came out of the ACEs study, which some people may be familiar with where it's the adverse childhood experiences survey, where it was this large study in California where they interviewed thousands and thousands of people. And they basically found that trauma that you experienced during your childhood leads to all of these adverse outcomes throughout your life through adulthood, including physical health outcomes like cardiovascular yeah. issues and um, a lot of mental health issues like depression and suicidal acts or suicidal attempts and completions. And what? they set the bar pretty low in this study for what they consider trauma. Yeah. I was pretty surprised when I was learning about that because I think one of them was moving a certain number of times, like moving homes a certain number of times. Oh, wow. um, a divorce was considered, considered a trauma. And then we consider children who have experience maybe physical abuse or verbal abuse throughout their childhood and mm -hmm. that's so much more severe usually than than a move might be so yeah that's a really interesting study yeah ACEs, it is. if anybody wants to check it out yeah it is really good it's a great study it's really interesting to check out as soon as I learned about it I of course took it and was like oh interesting to see your own score on that <laughs> I know <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally yeah <laughs> Yeah, so, I know, yeah. me too. But yeah, I think it's really interesting. I feel like a theme throughout this conversation we're having has been trauma. And I think once you understand how trauma can affect someone, mm -hmm. it really helps you to grow empathy for someone living with any mental health diagnosis. Yeah. Um, because trauma can affect you so much with any of these. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of the different diagnoses that we see a lot of people have gone through trauma. I mean, a lot of people who don't have diagnoses have gone through trauma and uh, it is really important. And one of the things I did love about the ACE was that part about what you mentioned is that they did look at mediating factors and like the number one biggest mediating factor that helped kids who were through, who went through terrible trauma throughout their lives. The biggest thing was that they had one supportive adult throughout their lives that really helped them feel mm -hmm. heard and supported them and just like yeah. was there rooting for them and that's yeah. such a huge thing that is probably not known as much as it should be because it's just it's so important yes yeah that's, I really commend you for what you do it in the schools with all your kids because I know that you're that for so many children so mm -hmm. thank you for everything you do yeah, for all the listeners too. And this is a great reminder for me too, to like check on the kids in your life, check in with them. Yeah. Um, it can mean a lot to, you know, spend some time with the kids in your life. And they can't have enough, you know? You, yeah. There's no cap for that. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's so impactful. It's so important to, to growing a strong foundation for a person. Yes, yes. And I do think that as a society, we are seeing more mental health professionals going into schools and things. And I think that's awesome. In my role, I do a lot of general school work where I'm in classrooms interacting with the general population. And I've been able to identify a couple kids where I'm like, hey, I think this person could use a little bit of support. And then I collect more information and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm really glad that I reached out because this, this individual yeah. has been through some tough stuff and I'm glad I can be here to help them process it. 
Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I was going to ask you, do you guys use a lot of mindfulness techniques with kids in the school? I do. I'm huge on it. And it's one of the things I love about my position is I have a lot of flexibility in the approaches I use. And I do think okay. mindfulness is huge. I'm always doing breathing activities with them. And I love doing yoga and stuff. When we were in the building, it was like, I, I love taking kids to do yoga. And oh, uh, of course, I, yeah, I would do very basic yoga because I'm not like a yeah. certified instructor. <laughs> so, you know, I'd keep it very, very simple, but they still loved it. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Yeah. I really think mindfulness can be such a great tool for teaching our kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And just coping skills in general. I mean, I always, I love when kids are really passionate about art and music and things like that. I like to really reinforce that because those things that seem like, oh, they're just hobbies or whatever, those can be huge protective factors for helping them get away from or help them cope with some of these really tough things in their lives. Yeah, totally. And it's a big confidence builder too. Yes. yes. Their confidence and self-worth. Exactly. Okay, Kelsey, I think we could probably go on for like three or four hours. So I guess <laughs> I know. better, you know, we better wrap it up. Uh, but this, oh, this, this has been so much fun. Yes, this was so wonderful. And I think we talked about even more important stuff than I thought we would. So thank you so much for joining me. Yes, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for having me. Of course. And a thank you to you, my listeners, for tuning in to another episode this month. I hope that you enjoyed listening to mine and Kelsey's conversation. We didn't go into super deep detail about some of the specific mental health diagnoses because we felt like that could get a little boring and a little monotonous just listing out all of the criterias. So if you have any questions about any of the things we talked about, please feel free to reach out through my Instagram or my Facebook. Also, if you are feeling like you might be suffering with some of these things or you're looking for help for your family member, please reach out to your doctor or there are lots of different resources around that you can find on the internet. You can always reach out to your local crisis line, or you can call the National Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255. There's a bunch of different resources. I'm not going to list them all. I often have those resources available on my Instagram, so check it out. I hope that everyone has a safe and happy and restful holiday. I will be back in the new year with lots of fun new topics to talk about, so I'm looking forward to that. I'll definitely be reaching out looking for some other people to join me in my episodes because I really like having others come in and share their knowledge. So if you're interested in doing that, reach out to me and I will talk to you soon. Stay safe, everyone.